0: Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come before you. We ask you to bless this time as we look at it, help guide and lead us as we go through this, and that the Spirit will lead. In Jesus' name, amen. Ezekiel chapter 20, starting at verse 32. And that which comes into your mind shall not be at all what you say. You will be, we will be as the heathen, as the families of the countries, to serve wood and stone. As I live, says the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and a stretched out arm and with a fury poured out will I rule over you. I will bring you out from from the people and will gather you out from the countries wherein you are scattered with a mighty hand and with a stretched out arm and with fury poured out. And I will bring you into into the wilderness of the people and there will I plead with you face to face like I have pled with your fathers in the wilderness and the land of Egypt. So will I plead with you, says the Lord God. And I will cause you to pass under the rod and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant and will purge out from among you the rebels and them that transgress against me. I will bring them forth out of the country where they sojourn and they shall not enter into the land of Israel and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. We're going to stop there and just start considering this because God has talked about previous to this how how they're going to be cast out of the land. They're going to be kicked out of their land and we already know That was in the process of the time that they were being talked to in Ezekiel. And remember, Ezekiel was part of the first uh, exportation into Babylon. And then there's going to be two additional ones after that. And there's going to be the next one after they come back into their land 70 years later, in 70 AD, when the Jews are scattered all around the country, the world. And then we get this particular event that talks about where we're at today, where they have been gathered back together and they have not quite come back to honor God and serve God yet. So we're kind of in, what we're reading right now is part of started today, but not yet completed. So we're going to look at this. It says, and while it shall come into your mind, then you shall not say it. You will be as the heathen, as the families of the countries to serve wood and stone. And this is what happened to the Jews when they were scattered both, time, both times, actually, when they went into Babylon, they started worshiping gods that weren't their god. And why? Because there was no temple to worship in. So they, and they felt, at first especially, they felt abandoned by God, and many of them just abandoned God. And this will happen to even Christians if they feel they don't stay in the word, they don't stay looking at God, and they feel like God's abandoned them, oftentimes they will just turn their back on God. Now, whether they're Christians or not, it's a whole other story. We're not going to get into that at this point in time. But when people feel abandoned by God, oftentimes they reject him and and say, fine, I'm going to do what I want to do. And God says, he goes in verse 33, as I live, says the Lord, surely with a mighty hand and a stretched out arm and with fury, I will rule over you. I will bring you out from, from the people and gather you out of the countries wherein you are scattered with a mighty hand and with a stretched out arm and with fury poured out. God is going to bring his people back, he's telling Ezekiel. And we see this. He sent them back 70 years later, which that was the prophecy. If you remember when Jeremiah said, you're going into captivity, you will go into captivity for 70 years. And the reason was because they had missed 70 sab- Sabbath years on the land. And God says, I'm going to have my sabbaths on the land so for 490 years the jews did not celebrate the sabbath of the land every seventh year if you remember from our exodus and study the land was not to be plowed and not to be har uh, not to be planted and they were just to eat whatever came up wild for that year or god said i would provide more more than enough on the sixth year to supply you for the sabbath year so, they did not honor him, so he said, You're going I'm going to take my Sabbath, you're going to go into captivity for seventy years. So yes, it was a lesson. They were being disobedient besides. It wasn't just the Sabbath. The seventy times they did not participate in the Sabbath year and lumped it into one for their for their uh punishment. Now that wasn't their only pun you know, that wasn't their only sin. It wasn't just that they weren't if they weren't honoring the Sabbath day, they also weren't honoring the, the, the feast days and keeping the laws and all the other laws. So what about us today? Well, we don't do that today. If we, if we don't do what we're supposed to even today, there are consequences for doing, not doing what God has told us to do. Now, we're not under the law, so we don't have to set, set aside and stop harvesting every, seven, every seventh year. But we all know that if we don't obey God... God takes what belongs to him anyway. And this is why I tell people, I believe personally that if you don't give God the tithe that he asks for, he will take the tithe. It says you put your, you put your funds in, an, in bags with holes. But yes, I do believe that God takes, if you do not obey him, he will take actions upon us. Even today, there's consequences for sin. And that's what I say, sin always has consequences. If you know that what you're doing is a sin, you will have consequences for that activity, and sometimes, if you don't know, and you should know, there will be consequences for that activity. If you are a liar a lot, you will suffer the consequences of being a liar. People will stop trusting you, you, and your lies will come out eventually. It just—it's what happens. They come out. If you don't uh, tell tell the truth in the simplest things, and you know, there's a commercial that I saw the other day, and it was basically, oh, it was the McDonald's commercial where the guy's transferring offices, and everybody's piling on their breakfast stuff on his, on his, in his box, because they think he's been fired, and he's carrying his stuff out, and at the, at the end, he goes, well, I think I'll go pick up the rest of my stuff tomorrow, so in essence, he's lied to, he never said anything all the way through, but he's lied to these people, and he knows what they think, and from a biblical point of view, he has lied because he has not told the truth, and he's led them to believe something that was a lie, and then it gets to the end. Well, I think I'll go ahead and can perpetuate this lie tomorrow. You know, not that it says it that way, but that's how I read it because I'm looking at God says, tell the truth. Okay. Now, obviously, the commercial obviously the commercial doesn't show that there's going to be consequences for that action down the road. You no, know, he didn't do it out, out loud. It hit you by not saying nothing. By not saying. I'm just changing offices. He was he was lying. But that's biblical. The world does it all the time. Think about it like that. We don't think about it like that. No, it's like, oh, they were just being generous to me because they well they thought I was been fired. You know, he knew darn well what they were thinking, you know. And everyone that watches it knows what they were thinking. Then he gets up to this, you know, nice nice office with a window and everything. And but I'm just looking at that and I you know, I understand the comedy potential for that commercial. But it is, a, it is what life is all about, and when people don't tell the whole truth. And as I've shared with people, you know, our legal system is built on the whole idea, where we swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, but if you talk to your lawyer, they'll tell you, don't give them any more answer than what they ask. So you're swearing to tell the truth according to God's way of telling the truth, And then you're being told, follow the world's way of truth and don't tell them the whole truth, just tell them whatever they ask. So they technically are telling you to commit perjury by what you're swearing to do. So it's a very interesting world that we live in because everything is not following God's standard. And like I say, I don't judge a commercial because it's a humanistic worldview commercial and I understand what most people are finding humorous in that commercial. Uh, and I thought it was funny the first time I saw it, and the second time I'm so and I'm going, hold it, there's nothing but lying going on in this this commercial. And then that's changed my whole way of looking at that McDonald's commercial. McDonald's is encouraging people to lie. But he says, You're going to go and you're gonna serve you're gonna go out amongst the heathen, you're gonna serve their idols. And this is so easy to do to serve the idols of the world, to live the way the world says to live. And we need to be so careful. This is why a biblical worldview is critical for us. And it's hard to keep a critical world, a biblical worldview, if you don't spend a lot of time with God's people and in God's word, and really start applying his word to your life. And that's where the real test of your biblical worldview hits is, do you live that view out? Uh, I was listening to a guy speaking this morning. He was talking about how he tried to join the air force, and he, he went into a psychologist, and because he said he believed that Jesus was the Son of God and and God was real, the guy said, "Well, we don't want you in the military," <laughs> and they kicked him out. And they went to the police force, and he had another psychologist asking him the same thing. And he goes, if "He came, he said I thought for just a few minutes about not telling them the truth of what I believe," and he goes, "But I told him anyway." <laughs> he ended up being hired by the police department, but you know, but it was one of those things of, you know. How easy would it have been from his experience just to say, no, I don't, believe God, I don't believe Jesus is real. It would have been so easy for him because it had already been a negative effect on one job you tried to get. And sometimes we'll do the same thing in our life. We, we have a bad experience of telling what we believe about God, so the next time we don't, we don't tell about what we believe about God. And that's a very bad place to end up at. I understand Again, I understood what he said, why he thought that way. I understand why people would do that. But Jesus says to deny him, and he'll deny us before the Father. It's a very serious decision to make. You know, am I going to stay comfortable in this world and be happy with this world, or am I going to stand up for God and take whatever comes my way for standing up for God? And it's a hard decision, and I understand it's a hard decision. Believe me, I understand it's a hard decision to, to make, because I've, I've gotten into trouble for standing up for God in various jobs and saying what I believe about God. Do you think that that things were worse than in the days of of Noah? We're getting close. Otherwise, Jesus would have returned because he said that his return will be, when he returns, it will be as the days of Noah. In the days of Noah, everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and right now we still have a fairly decent amount of righteous people putting salt in there and light in there, keeping people from doing all that they want to do bad but we are really close. I don't know how much further we have to get before we're at the day like the days of Noah. Because we're already calling good bad and bad good and people don't want to get married because there's so much divorce and they're and uh they just want to have their way they want to live. And so we are very close. I don't know how much closer we have to get. It's just the the rapture of the church is imminent. Now, how imminent? That's another story altogether. The disciples thought it was imminent and and I don't see how they thought it was imminent because there were so many things that hadn't happened yet. But there's so much that has happened now that he can return at any time and take this church out and the, and start the clock for the end days. Think about it this way: I mean, how long are you? Like, you, I catch myself sometimes thinking, "Oh, well, if you give me go for the rapture, and then whether you stay or whether you go." Well, if you're a Christian, you're going. There's no people about states stay just to to work. Nope. After the rapture the hundred and forty-four thousand Jewish believers will come on the scene and they will be the messengers for the gospel. Even beyond that, there'll be hundreds of Christian messages out there because you know, we've still got all these dead guys preaching on the radio all the time. Their their tapes and their their websites are all over the place. People will have the opportunity to hear to They'll eventually gonna cut that out. You knock out their websites, but you're, their, their DVDs and their CDs and their tapes will all be all over the place. People will get the message, if they want to get the message. Most of them won't want to get the message. The people that stayed get the message will spending be much harder for them. They will have to not take the mark of the beast and will have to die. That would be the cost of them not having accepted Jesus ahead of when they had the opportunity. They'll, they'll, still say, they'll still be saved by Jesus Christ and him, His blood. That's the only way to get to heaven. But they will have to endure the hardships and not take the mark of the beast, because the mark of the beast is the, you know, is a automatic rejection of Christ. So it'll be tough for them. How are you, how are you going to survive? Are they going to survive like, like people in the wilderness? you are going to be out in the wilderness doing their own hunting and gathering and. Right. And trying to stay, trying to stay away from everything, and think about, think about how hard that will be for our civilized, modern people to have to live off the land. Many people have never hunted in their life, and if they had to hunt, even if they did take a gun and shoot something, they wouldn't know how to clean it, skin it, prepare it for uh, being cooked. They wouldn't know how to find the, the the fruits and vegetables and nuts and berries out in the Wilderness, they wouldn't know what was good and what wasn't good. You know, we're pretty spoiled in our day and age. You know, so there's going to be a really tough time when it when this period comes and we're looking at this type of this period with Jesus, where God's saying, "I'm going to gather my people from all around the world." And in 1948, He gathered the people of Israel from around the world back to their nation. They became a nation in a day, just as the Bible said it would come. Is that it wasn't a nation and then it was a nation again. And it's kind of amazing that Israel has fallen by the wayside on two other occasions and come back three times. I don't believe there's any other country that has ever completely lost its land, completely lost everything, and then come back as a nation in the same place. Uh, and I, I could be wrong, but I, in my times of history, and I've heard pastors say there's not, but I've never validated it. But I can't think of any country that has totally gone away <laughs> And come back. You've had something going very close to disappearing and and grown back up again. And there could be. I'm not going to di- debate on that one because I've not researched it that close. Verse 35. It says, "I will bring you out of the wilderness of the, of the people, and there I will plead with you face to face, like I pled with your fathers in the wilderness in the land of Egypt. So I will plead with you," says the Lord God. This part of the verse has not been accomplished yet in the new Israel. Israel has not turned back to God as a nation. And this is hard for people to understand, but right now in Israel, they basically are an atheist people. And it's kind of a strange thing. They believe that the, God was, the land was given to them by God, but they don't really believe in God. So it's kind of an interesting <laughs> dilemma that you face there. Now, not all the people, there are the Orthodox and the Reformed who still believe in God, and they, and they're waiting to have the temple built so they can have sacrifices and... And all of this, but the average, normal, everyday Jew, is a Jew by name only. They don't; they're not Jewish in the religion side of things. They're just Jews because they were born Jews. They would be like Americans. You know, they're, I was born American. My family was American. I am an American, uh, or a French, or a German, or whatever. If the Jews are believing like that, even though Christ has came. Still, start to sacrifices. Yes, there's going to be. They already told us in Revelation. There's going to be the third temple that's going to be built and they are going to offer sacrifices again. They don't recognize Jesus as the Messiah. They don't recognize him at the time they're building the temple. They're not going to recognize Jesus until he comes back when they're surrounded and he steps on Mount Olive and destroys the enemy and sets up the Millennial Kingdom. And then, and then they will remember who he is. This beast, but they, don't practice their sacrifices, right? they practice the feast in a modified way, because they can't sacrifice. So they, they do the rituals of the feast without the sacrifices currently. And Jews, on this day and age, the Jews believe that if you do more good than bad, you will earn paradise for those who believe in, para- in paradise. Not all of them believe uh, in paradise. And this goes even back into the days of Jesus, where you had the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Sadducees did not believe in anything spiritual. And the way to remember that is a little thing they teach you. The, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, so therefore they were Sadducee. Uh, just a little phrase that's been used for years for years, to be able to understand. And the Pharisees were on the spiritual side of things. so And that's why Paul, when he was standing up in the, in the Sanhedrin, recognized that they were about 50-50, and he said, I'm a Pharisee. I believe in the resurrection, and all of a sudden they started fighting amongst themselves instead of fighting over Paul, uh, because now they were fighting over the, the resurrection, uh, resurrection of and spiritual things. I hear this on radio has actually nothing to do with what you're talking about. I just wanted to. The guy was talking about Golgotha and being the same place where Jesus was crucified and also where Isaac took. Where Abraham took Isaac. Yes. Yep, that's Moriah, Moriah, Golgotha, Mount Mount Moriah, Mount Zion, the holy mountain, Calvary are all the same name. J- Abraham went to Mount Moriah, which is also called Mount Zion or Jerusalem in our in our day. And most people believe that he was built the altar in the exact spot. Now that would get that takes you into a little more speculation. That takes you a little more into speculation, but it, doesn't, it makes sense that it, it was because Isaac that was to be a, a picture of Christ. We, don't know, we do know that that's where he went. But Jesus will return to Mount Olivet, which is where he, where he, where he left where he was transfigured and, and taken, ascended off of Mount Olivet, and he will step on Mount Olivet. It will split and refresh that entire valley with water. And then he will set up his millennial kingdom, which we're going to look at some of that (laughs) if we get that far in this chapter today. Verse 37, And I will cause you to pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. I will purge out from among you the rebels and and those that transgress against me and shall bring forth out of the country where they sojourn, and they shall not enter into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So God says, I am going to bring you back under the covenant. And this is a place where Israel has, there's certain things that they've kept pretty well over the years. Uh, some of their feasts without the sacrifice, especially like Passover, they keep Passover. They they will practice, uh, they don't practice Pentecost as much as, uh, as Passover. They will celebrate the, uh, Feast of the Tabernacles and do all their little rituals and set up their tents in their yard and stay in their tents for a week to a degree they still follow Yom Kippur but Yom Kippur is all about the Day of Atonement when you're supposed to sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins so there's not much they do there because there's nothing to do now the very Orthodox will <laughs> practice all the feast. the lesser ones will practice Passover and 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 tabernacles but they do it much like we in america do christmas and easter those who are christians and really believe they're very special days celebrating the birth of jesus and celebrating the resurrection of jesus for the rest of the world it's give gifts to one another <laughs> and have you know give candy to the kids that's their hanukkah. They have a hanukkah. but see hanukkah isn't a spiritual they give gifts. feast they give a lot of gifts yeah the so the Festival of Lights is a different event because it's not, a, it's not one of the spiritual feasts. It's, it's a historical feast uh, that celebrates the Maccabean Rebellion when they only had enough uh, oil to last for one day and the, and the menorah stayed lit for a, for a week. Uh, so that's what that's all about. So it's a historical. It's more, it would be more along the lines of Fourth of July or Memorial Day for us. It was a historical holiday for historical significance, as opposed to religious significance. Wow, Same thing with uh, Purin, which is a celebration of when Esther and Mordecai, was able to save the people from being killed. And this celebration of Purin is that, it's another historical, historical celebration as, of, as opposed to religious. Verse 39, and as for you, O house of Israel, thus saith the Lord, Go you, serve you everyone his idols, and whereunto also, if you will not hearken unto me, but pollute you my holy name, no more with your gifts, with your idols, nor for in my holy mountain, in the mountain of the height of, Jerusalem, of Israel, says the Lord God, there shall be the house of Israel, all of them in the land, serve me, and I will accept them, and they will require, and I will require your offerings, and the first fruit of your oblations, and with all your holy things, and I will accept you with your sweet Savior when I bring you out of your people and gather you into, out of the countries wherein you have been scattered, and I will be sanctified in you before the heathen. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I shall bring you out of the land of Israel into the country for which I have lifted up mine hand to give it unto your fathers. So here is the picture of Jesus gathering everybody together and saying, you are going to serve me. And the Jews are going to build another temple. And it will be on the, t- on the, mountain, on the holy mountain. And what we, have, uh, what we have been able to learn over the last few years is they do not have to destroy the Dome of the Rock, like everybody has said for years. Because the Dome of the Rock is not built on the site of the original tabernacle. That's the mosque up there. Right. That's above the rest, above the rest wall on the temple mount. There is room for both of them to be built in the solution that probably will come up because I can't remember if it was Ezekiel or, or Isaiah or Jeremiah, but one of them talked about measuring off the, the, tabernacle, the, the, the last tabernacle, uh, temple, and they say, do not include the court of the Gentiles. And if you remember, you've got the temple, you've got a wall around it, and then you have another wall around that, which was called the court of the Gentiles. That was what... That was where the Gentiles could come in, but they could go no further to actually offer sacrifices under the Jewish practice, even though that's not what God taught them. The Dome of the Rock actually sits in what would be the court of the Gentiles in the, in the original temple. And so when you read it the way it says, don't measure, because it's been given to the Gentiles don't measure the court of the Gentiles because it's been given to the Gentiles they can put a wall separating the two and have two temples on that mountain and that probably will be the Antichrist solution to the whole mount mount uh, problem. just build a wall build a big wall you uh, Muslims you come up on that side Jews you come up on this side and stay away from each other and it'll make a great solution to their problem and it's just it fits it fits and I'm not an original one on that I heard that from another pastor who talked about that but I do I've seen the. I've looked at the maps and everything showing that the temple the Dome of the Rock does not sit on the foundation of the original temple so we've got a solution coming up and God is eventually going to call his people and say I'm going to accept you and you're going to worship me you're going to worship me and it says here he's going to take the sacrifices and this bothers a lot of Christians and he says you will sacrifice but if we remember back when we were going through Leviticus and we talked about the the various sacrifices we as Gentiles think of one sacrifice but there's actually seven different sacrifices that can be made and one of them is just a dedication of yourself to God and it shows that I'm dedicating myself to you God and here's my sacrifice and really yon kippur sacrifice be needed no because jesus fulfilled that one will the passover lamb sacrifice be needed no because he fulfilled the passover lamb will the thanksgiving offering be be allowed absolutely because it was a thanksgiving offering between god and, and his people and if you remember we called that the picnic with god is when i heard the pastors talk about it the the priest got part of it you got part of it and god got part of it so it was like you're just having this great big picnic you know it's just a a love gift for God, and when He starts talking about the sacrifices that will be made, that He will require, even through the even through the millennial kingdom, will be that sacrifice, this, the sacrifice of thanksgiving, and, and just to say, God, I just I'm devoted to you, and so we'll see sacrifice still going on, but not the sacrifices of forgiveness and and all of that, and we covered all this a long time ago. Just touching base on this as we go to, through this today. And it says your holy mountain in the mountain in the height of Israel. So this is we know that he's clearly talking about Jerusalem, (laughs) Mount Zion, Moriah, whatever, whatever term you want to use for this. He's talking about that mountain that they will serve God and he will accept them there as they give these things and he will accept their offerings when they bring it from their people that he gathers and he says, I will be sanctified in you before the heathen sanctified, set aside. The Jews will eventually come back to God. They have been set aside during the church age. They rejected God, they rejected the Messiah. They were set aside for a period of time, not permanently. There are some churches that teach you that the church has replaced Israel. That is not scriptural, all right? It is not scriptural that the church has replaced Israel. Israel is going to be back in its place Isaiah tells us, Ezekiel tells us, Jeremiah tells us, Daniel tells us, Revelation tells us, all these verses, all these books tell us Israel is going to come back. And they're going to be who God centers himself on. And we know that. We see it. For, the, for about 1900 years, it's all been about the church. But God is going to take the church out of this world and we will celebrate in heaven the marriage supper of the Lamb while all hell breaks loose on this world, and Satan rules during you know rules within bounds that God gives him on this world for seven years, and we will celebrate with Jesus for seven years in heaven with the marriage supper of the lamb, and then we will come back with him in victory, riding behind him as he destroys the enemies of Israel as they're coming to as the whole world comes against Israel this Great chaos. I, I've always thought about how chaotic it will be at the rapture. And working at the prison, I can really, I can definitely see if one person's missing at a prison, there's chaos. I can have a picture because I know there's many Christians in the, in the prison. What's going to happen when 100 out of your 4,000 people or 200 people disappear? Uh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen on the roads? The, yeah, you, know, you know, all the things that are going to happen when when people... Millions of people in this world disappear at one time, and how they're going to try to explain it It would be interesting. I'd almost want to be around to hear how they're going to explain it, but I won't want to be around at that point in time. But it would be fun to hear how they're going to explain it. You know, I can picture it already. You know, the alien aliens came along and, and took a, took a, took away all those all those all those crazy Christian people, you know, and it was, you know, and, and took them out of us. Now we're now we're a pure people. We can we can do what we've always wanted to do without judgment and all this stuff Uh, and I've also thought that there may be a chance if Christianity is under enough persecution it may not matter anyway the Christians may not be around to be seen they could all be wrapped up in prison camp someplace and prison camp will just be empty overnight who know? who knows what will happen to make this not as bad-looking as it as we might think but it says you that they will know that I am the God and I Will be sanctified in you this is what God wants us us from the Christian point of view too that he is sanctified in us the people will be set aside and when people look at us as Christians they say this is God's child this is this person belongs to God that they don't act like the world they don't think like the world we don't and we don't do the things of the world and as I've said before we should not feel comfortable in this world if we feel comfortable in this world we've got a problem with where we are with God and we need to look at that and say God you know help me which is why like I said I've watched that commercial and it's like it struck me the first time I saw it I kind of thought it was funny but the more I thought about it the more I realized it really wasn't that funny a commercial because of what it was saying and we need to be able to do that as Christians you know we can understand maybe when it first hits us you know we, we our, our mind our flesh is kicked in and we and we understand why and then we when we start thinking about it, we should be able to apply God's Word to it and say well hold it this action this activity this thing that was done this thing that was said is not funny it really is not funny and we need to be able to apply God and his word and let him be sanctified and many times I've been accused of, well, you just don't understand the, this, this joke about it. I go, yes, I fully understand what you think is funny about it. I right. just don't think it's funny about it because I'm looking at it from how God wants me to see it. We need to be careful about everything we do because people are looking at how do we as Christians respond. If I'm laughing at the same lewd, um, vulgar jokes as the world does, then what am I telling them about my standards of morality? It's, it's okay as long as it's a joke. And that's not where we want to be. We don't want to be where people are saying you're just like us. We need to stand out from the crowd. And you know, I've had people go, well, I'd tell you this joke, but but Ralph's around, so I can't tell you this joke. And I'm going, thank you. I'll go someplace else while you while you while you tell these jokes that you shouldn't be telling in the first place. Do we have that kind of testimony with people that they look and say, nope, can't can't say this because so and so is there. They're not going to think it's funny. They're not going to they're not going to appreciate it. They're they're gonna look down on us, whatever it might be. And it's not necessarily that we're looking down on them, it's just our standard is a different standard and we're not gonna live at God's level. It's inappropriate behavior. It's inappropriate behavior. God says we're going to give account for every idle word we speak. It should scare everybody, but some people should be really scared because they get, they get into risque conversations so quick and so easy you know, it's so easy for us to get into those conversations. It's so easy for us to get into judgment, judging other people. It's so easy to listen to things we shouldn't listen to because our flesh feeds on that kind of stuff. We should have enough of God into us, though, that as soon as we recognize it, hold it, no, we can't go there. And you, you've all heard me do this at various times. At, 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 no, we're not going there. It's not I've got to stop or, you know, we're not, not talking about that because I find myself doing the same thing. People will start talking about something, or some, you know, start talking about something and then someone will get involved and next thing you know, we're, we're into a sentence talking about things that shouldn't be talked about. And it's easy to get there and sometimes hard to understand and then you go, hold it, no, <laughs> stop. And we need to get that reputation that we're going to stop those kind of conversations around us because when you get to the place where you stop them, people stop initiating them around you. And it gets to that point a lot faster because people know you're not going to be wanting to participate, so they'll, it doesn't usually start coming up in the first place. And we just need to be able to stop when those things go on. Recognize that I'm starting this conversation, is starting to go someplace. It shouldn't go, and I, I'm not participating. At the very least, walk away. If you don't feel comfortable saying stop, walk away from I it. Say it in front of my kids. I shouldn't say it in front of adults. Yeah. Not I'm 'm going to say in front of your kids or your mom. You'd better not be saying it amongst, in front of anybody else. Right but you're always saying it in front of God so you really shouldn't be wanting to say it anyway but that would be a good rule of thumb if you wouldn't say it in front of your kids or your, or your mom you definitely shouldn't be saying it to other people but we need to get to the point where we recognize what's going on and just be able to stop and say no I can't go there." It's God help me have the strength to stop and be able to just take that place God I'm sanctifying you I do not want to see lewd or risque, even risque. I mean, risque is not as bad as lewd, but still, if it gets into that area that's kind of off color, we shouldn't be going there. If we're in a place where we're talking about other people that aren't present, then we shouldn't be doing it and we should stop and stop and and get get out of that conversation because it's going to be right there. If it's not at gossip at that point, it's going to be at gossip if you don't stop it and we don't need to be there. We don't need to hear it. I will accept you with your, with your sweet savor Then, I, when I bring you out of the people and gather you into the com- countries wherein you have been scattered, and I shall, will be sanctified in you before the heathen. That's where I was at. 42. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I shall bring you out of the land of Israel into the country for when I lift up my hand to give it to your fathers, and there you shall remember your ways and all your doings. Wherein you, wherein you have been defiled and you shall loathe yourself in your sight and all your evils that you have committed. God says there's going to come that time when they're going to recognize that they haven't been following him. This for us as Christians is when we finally recognize we're a sinner and then we deserve punishment and we turn to Christ and he comes in and changes who we are. And hopefully you re- recognize that where you start seeing how sinful you are. Uh, and i been able to see that the more that I've longer I've lived the more I realize how sinful I am and I'm and I'm one that's grew up as a Christian and really never went off the deep end you know I never did alcohol and drugs but all the sins I did still are sins and awful in God's sight and I'm no better off than anybody else out there that still sin and God says you're going to come to the place where you recognize you're gonna recognize that you did not follow my laws You did not obey me and you're going to turn you are going to turn israel will turn to god and be able to see and in like verse 33 and you shall loathe yourself in your own sight for all your evils have you come to the place that you recognize that your sin is terrible whatever that sin might be you know for every one of us that's going to be a different sin we look at but our sin is sin and it is evil and awful in god's sight nobody has ever been good enough to say god i deserve heaven every sin is awful in god's sight if you remember when we studied in proverbs he says these things that i do i hate and you know he starts out all the time with lying lips and those who speak you know speak and gossiping on and and in a way we think gossip and lying are pretty pretty low-grade uh sins you know from the world's point of view you know we, we start out the world starts out well if you just told a few white lies or you gossiped about somebody you're really not that bad it's not as bad as stealing or murder you know adultery all these other really big things and yet God when he says these seven things I hate starts out with what we decide as as the world easy stuff <laughs> you know no big deal and God's saying those are the ones I hate and you know why does he hate them I think it's because Number one, they hurt people at the soul level. But number two, they're so easy to do without recognizing that they're sin. If you go out and you commit adultery or you steal or you kill somebody, it's pretty obvious even to the most hardened person that they've done wrong. But how many people have you met that can, can lie and steal small stuff without even thinking twice about it? You know, lie, well, I just didn't want to hurt their feelings, so I didn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell, I didn't tell them this. Or, I would get in trouble if I told the truth, so I lied. <laughs> you know, usually, you get more trouble for lying, but it's beside the point. You know, We think at the time, we're keeping ourselves out of trouble. I think that God says, I hate these because they're so easy for us to try to justify. It's hard to justify hurting somebody. It's hard to justify stealing. It's hard to justify uh, murder, adultery. It's pretty easy to justify not telling the whole truth and, and lying. Verse 44, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I have wrought wrought with you for my name's sake, not according to your wicked ways, nor according to your corrupt doings. O house of Israel, says the Lord. God's grace and his mercy allows us to come to him in spite of anything that we've done. There is nobody who's done so much sin that they cannot be forgiven by God. And there's no such as doing too little sin to, to not need His grace and His mercy. The, the song Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. All of us need to recognize our sins and how amazing God's grace is to bring us to Him. Because it's, if you really understand the, the sin, we deserve to be punished. We deserve to go to hell. And yet, Christ died for us so that he could forgive us our sins and lift us up. And it's really humbling to to see that and to, to understand that. Verse 45, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set your face toward the south and, and drop your your word unto the south, and prophesy against the forest of the south field, and say to the forest of the south, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will kindle a fire in you, and it shall devour every tree in you, and every dry tree, the flaming flame shall be not be quenched, and all the faces of the south to the north shall be burned therein. And all flesh shall see that I, the Lord, have kindled it, and it shall not be quenched. Then said the Lord, oh, said I, O oh, oh Lord, they shall say to me, "Doth He not speak in parables?" So he says, "Speak to the South." He says, "Speak to the South and say that the f- trees will be devoured." This is coming up. God, in the book of Revelation tells us about all these 21 trials that are going to fall upon the world. Here he's saying, it's going to be devoured. And when you look at what happens in the book of Revelation, all one quarter of all the fresh water is going to be destroyed quarter of the population on one time is going to be destroyed, another third of the population on another time is going to be destroyed. The the waters are going to be destroyed the waters are going to be destroyed. The land's going to be destroyed. The trees are going to be destroyed. And we see this picture of God saying, Destruction is coming. There's going to be this time of destruction. God's going to gather his people to him and then destruction is going to be falling. Then in the end days, they're going to build the temple And at one point, about halfway through, Satan is going to enter into that temple and declare that he's God and worship him. And that is when the Jews will recognize that they've been lied to. And they will look and say, we've missed the Messiah. And God will protect them for the next three and a half years. He will take them aside and protect them as his people. And supernaturally protect them from total destruction. They're his people. They are his people. They're they're his people even to this day. But they're not worshipping. They're not worshiping him, but they will recognize that they have not been worshiping God when Satan stands up in the temple and declares that he is God and demands sacrifice. And at that point they will recognize and their eyes will be opened up that they have been deceived. I wonder What they're going to do in the Antichrist when they find out they've been deceived. <laughs> they're going to run from him. That's what it tells us in the scriptures. They run from him. Because he's going to pursue them to try to kill them. Uh, because he hates Israel with a passion because Israel represents God's people and the promise of God's people. And he's always tried to destroy Israel. Why has is he tried to destroy Israel? Before Christ was born, he was trying to keep the Messiah from being born. Since the Messiah has been born, he's trying to keep destroy Israel so that there will not be an Israel, Israelite population to be fulfilled, be saved in the end times. He will try to destroy them in the end times so that there will be no millennial kingdom to be set up with the Jewish people as the center of it. His whole goal is to destroy Israel because if he can destroy, if he can be successful at any point in that, he proves that God does not, is not true in the future and stops his prophecies from happening, and therefore, if God can be stopped, then God is not God. So he can't stop God from being God, but he's going to try very hard and has tried over the years to try to destroy Israel for just that purpose. Before Jesus was born, if he could get rid of Israel, the Messiah would never have been born, and all people would belong to him for, for eternity. Afterwards it was to keep the prophecies of the end times from being fulfilled when when Israel would be be reestablished and re remade. And so his whole goal has always been to destroy Israel. And that's why we're starting to see anti Semitism building back up again, because Satan sees that the time is close to the end and he would like to try to destroy Israel. He would like to get a nuclear war to destroy the the nation of Israel and all other Jews around the world won't happen but it would be what he would ultimately like to do and always remember that Satan is on a leash and God will not let him go further than than he's allowed to go even in the seven years of tribulation Satan is on a leash and cannot go further than God will allow him to go because he is always going to be on that leash God will never let him do more than he will allow now he's gonna give him a lot of leeway during that seven years but he is not going to be able to destroy the whole whole world which would be his his solution so he will never be able to do everything he wants so don't ever believe that Satan is going to have 100% free reign even during the tribulation period he will never have that much freedom because it just is not God's plan he's going to protect his people And Satan will always be on a leash. God is always sovereign. Even during the the seven years of tribulation, God is sovereign. And his whole point during that period of time is to bring people back to him. And it's going to be through his anger and his fury that he's trying to bring them back to them. But his goal is to bring people back to him. And some will respond. We're told that already, that some will respond when they see God judging this world and realize that it's, beyond nature. The things that are happening are beyond nature. An earthquake such shakes all the mountains and flattens out the world. That's a pretty big earthquake. That's beyond nature's earthquake. The idea of the destruction of the water and the and many of the living is beyond nature. Now, there'll be all these millions of people and scientists trying to explain away all of these, all these activities and say, well, they're all natural and, and all of this but they will be supernatural events and there will be people who recognize you have 144,000 Jewish missionaries preaching the gospel around the world at one point you have an angel flying around yelling out the gospel there's all kinds of things in, the, in Revelation that says the gospel is going to be presented people are going to hear the gospel and respond and Well, how many will? I don't know. It doesn't tell us that, but people will respond to the gospel even though it's going to be a different gospel message than they're ever used to. And we're going to see that uh, happening as it goes on. All right, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. We ask you, Lord, to give us boldness to speak the gospel, give us boldness to, to go forward. And we just thank you for how much you love and care for us. In Jesus' name, amen.